listening to the Darius Daniels Podcast. Well, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Darius Daniels podcast. And as always, I hope your week is going incredibly well, but I hope today's episode makes it better. I'm really excited about this one. As always, I've got some entertaining and some educational conversation with my co-host, Dakaria and Chastity. They're incredible. And I've got a mind blowing. Listen to me mind-blowing interview with Nona Jones. I don't know what your note-taking apparatus is. I don't know if you use pen and paper. I don't know if you write on napkins. I don't know if you use a computer, a Chromebook, a desktop, a laptop, but whatever your note-taking device is, get ready because Nona Jones is about to help you internally deal with some issues of the soul and externally helping you become more successful. You don't want to miss that interview. And as always, you've got to stay tuned to the end for the Ask Dr. Darius section of the show. We've got some incredible questions and I think it's going to be incredibly insightful. So buckle up, get ready for this episode of the Darius Daniels Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. What's up to the co-hosts that are with me today, Dakari and Chastity. What's up, y'all? What's up? What's the word? What's happening? I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm doing good. Everything's well. You look great, man. You got a huge smile on your face today. That's great. I'm with that. Hey, you know why, man? I just looked over. You remember last time we were on the uh, podcast, you all talked about my shoes uh, (laughs) and the color of my shoes. They were Uh, nice shoes. As as if they were like Ronald McDonald's shoes. I didn't talk about your shoes. No, but today I want to talk about your shoes. (laughs) You know, that's what we're going to talk about today. Those shoes you have on over there that's tied all the way up to your kneecap. You like my shoes? Yeah. Okay. Where'd you get them from? Where are you going? I'll make with sure them? I tell you so you can uh, get them for your fiance. Oh, Dakar, it's really interesting. You remember? I think you need grief recovery about this yeah. this shoe situation. <laughs> yeah, I you know. held on to that yeah. all of this time. Yeah, you're next. <laughs> I have forgotten. I think you actually started the shoe conversation. Yeah, it me. I just noticed. I, I didn't know your shoe. They look salmon or something. I didn't know. I just yeah. made a comment. But hey, I, I love the I shoes. I mean, you would have thought I had on salmon gators in hey, here. Like, <laughs> what kind of shoes were they? Forgive. Forgive. Hey, forgive. And you will be forgiven. <laughs> Chastity, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Um, my son is, has rode the bus today for his for the first time, and I was nervous about it, but it looks like he just made it back home, so I'm excited. So, yeah, so you were well checking the life. phone and looking yeah, at the camera. I was looking at the camera, like, okay, is he here? I made him text me. I said, look, when you get off the bus, no, when you get on the bus, text me. When you get off the bus, text me and then I'll see you on the camera and I'm gonna turn the alarm back on and all that yeah he's he's growing up he's telling everybody like yeah I'm growing up I'm a big boy now he's telling everybody that so we gotta have him on the podcast one day oh man he'll steal the show no, I believe it. Yeah, uh, but I think God's got better things for him than this. I love the podcast, <laughs> but I want him to aim higher. <laughs> you, know, it's funny. you know, it's funny. Aim Spe- higher, young man. Aim higher. Speaking of virtual school and school in general, I'm going back to this topic. And I tell y'all what happened to me today. Y'all, y'all want to hear it? 
No, but okay. Wow. Yeah, I'm not sure yet, but. <laughs> oh, here it is. I mean, it's about a five-year-old. What, what can I say about a five-year-old? Okay, it's not we me never know school. with you. That's all I'm saying. It's we okay. never know Listen, with you. Listen, this five-year-old kid of mine, uh, he's he's doing his work, and all of a sudden, uh, well, let me say this. He's in this program. It's a DLI program. It's called Dual Language Immersion. So he speaks Spanish half the day and English the other half. Well, today, during Spanish, uh, his teacher asked him, said, Listen, Dakari, I need for you to count <laughs> in Spanish from one to ten. Mm-hmm. And he takes the takes his little finger and goes off mute and he says, Chain, 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 chain of I said, you know, this is crazy. But eventually he did it. Now, where did funny. he get that from? He got it from me. They told me I would get everything back that I did to my mom. So uh, But how does he know the song? My mom. Oh yeah, he was listening <laughs> they were listening to a retail. Who is that? Again. I think it's Aretha. I think that's Aretha who, Franklin. I think that's I her. Yeah. Five year old singing Aretha wow, Franklin. He has funny. an old soul, man. man. I mean, <laughs> yeah. We're watching Fresh Prince now. He loves Family <laughs> Matters. But, the but Jeffersons. The, he likes Urkel too. Yeah, he was Urkel for his birthday. Angelil White, you know, commented on his outfit. I thought it was really cool. Really? Oh, that's dope. Yeah, oh, that's, really nice. that's what's yeah, up. Yeah, uh, that's Aretha really Franklin, a five year old. Yeah, he wow. must get taste. Got Did she taste. participate in a versus? <laughs> I didn't laugh. I don't think she did. No, somebody was it Gladys Knight? Yeah, I think Aretha Patty LaBelle. It was Patty LaBelle and somebody else. Oh, it was Patty and oh, was, um, Gladys. Gladys. It was Patty. Yeah, and, hey, yeah they Aretha's were been dead for a couple years. So. <laughs> oh, she has. I think so. Oh man, you know what? <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. They did the funeral in Detroit. I remember that. Jasper Williams did the funeral. Okay, I remember. I remember now. I remember. I remember. <laughs> Listen, all <laughs> listeners, don't cancel me. I remember now. I remember the funeral. I remember the cars. <laughs> I remember Jasper Williams did the funeral. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I got it. Gladys Knight and Patti LaBelle did, did the verses. That was good. You know what? Season two of the verses is coming up. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I got to get out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> Who do y'all want to see in season two? I just want to see T.I. <laughs> that's it. No one else. No one that's dead should emerge at the verses. Please don't come. I won't be watching that one. Yeah, that, I wouldn't want to watch that. I wouldn't want to watch that either. Is it time, Jesus? <laughs> you coming back, Jesus? Ooh. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I can breathe. But you know what they did say? Now, they did create a meme. I saw where Aretha was kind of looking over Patty's shoulder because I heard that was some little pettiness with them uh, a while back. So I mean, really? she, I guess she was kind of there based on the meme. Um, <laughs> thank you. You know, but no. So there's this thing going on um, on social media. Where they're trying to figure out if Jeezy and Ti is going to be good together in a versus battle. They're friends. They, I think they will. I think. And for those of you all who don't know what a versus battle is, it's something that was started on on social media. Yeah. Right between Timberland and Swiss Beats. Swiss Beats, Swiss Beats in the middle of a pandemic to bring people together. Um. So that's yeah, what so like artists is, right? basically do uh, IG lives together, yeah, and they go mm-hmm. twenty for twenty. Yeah, and with so they songs. play a part of a song, and they play the other artist plays a part of the song, and then they right. determine who wins. Right? And yeah, so it's, a great, it's a great business model it's now. Really, too, yeah. been really yeah. successful. Been really been, successful. Yeah, and entertaining too, and helpful, especially when most of the country was on um, was on lockdown. lockdown. Right? Yeah, that was huge. Yeah, I don't think Ti and Jeezy should do. It. I mean, it'll be great. Jeezy has a good catalog. You know, a lot of people have problems with rap. I mean, I don't. 
this has always been my thought. My thought is if you're more upset about the music or about the things that they're rapping about, than you are about the circumstances that created those conditions. Mm -hmm. I just kind of feel like, I don't know if you quite get what's going on in the world yet. You know what I mean? So it's like, these kids are rapping about violence or drugs and it's, well, yeah, are, are you, are you more upset that they're talking about what they went through? Or, or that they, they went would, through it. Or right. they like, overcome. I'm, you know, yeah. yeah, I was yeah. talking to, so one of uh, one of the guys at our church teaches in the inner city in Philly. And I was talking to him, I do a call with him once a month, and I was talking to him, and he was telling me about how he's got one student that's like, I don't know, eight, and he's lost three friends to violence. Wow. Eight? And he's eight years old. He's eight years old. Yeah, so... Anyway, I don't, I don't really get caught up into that. This is rap music. It's like, well, yeah, an eight-year-old shouldn't have to step over dead bodies trying to go to school exactly. either. And exactly. we should be way more upset about that mm-hmm. than right. the people rapping about those conditions. But anyway, I don't know. I I would have rather seen T. I don't know. T.I. almost has to, he's almost like on Z level to me. He's one of my top five. So it's yeah. hard for me to find my a worthy rival to him. So. But go What's that? So he's my favorite rapper yeah, too. Yeah, okay. is Dakari's favorite. And Jeezy's um, yours. Yeah, he's definitely mine. So who's in your top five? My top five is going to be Tupac. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm talking about lyrical ability and then who had, who made contributions to the culture through their music. Got mm-hmm. it. And to mm-hmm. me, that's Pac. Yeah. That's that's number one Pac. I think right? everyone so can about, agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Dear yeah. Mama and Keep Your Head Up. and mm-hmm. So Pac's number one for me. Jay-Z is number two. For me uh Nas is number three okay for me ti is number four and andre 3000s oh number five you know what a, i wonder what the people would think by you not having having biggie in that top five. talking about lyrical not just bangers he produced bangers i'm talking about lyrical ability and content that actually contributes to, to the, the culture. culture okay so what about Kanye? Oh, I just made some people upset by yeah, not putting Biggie yeah. in my top hey, five. Biggie. He might be top five. He's yeah. not in my top five, right? Okay. That's my top that's five, like, right? Right? Yeah. People yeah. always try to make you mad. You know what I mean? Uh, they, they become angry about your opinion. Like, yeah. That's my top yeah. Five. He's I not in my, I think he's incredible. He's just not in my top five. Yeah. That was a solid top five. That is a solid top five. There you have it, people. <laughs> yeah. Darius Daniels. Ooh, just yeah, gave don't his email top five. me about about why Biggie should be Biggie could be your number one. That's a power. Yeah. Don't email me about why Biggie should be my number right. one. Well, listen, everybody, we got this incredible interview with Nona Jones coming up, and it it's great. I mean, Dakari mentioned to me a while ago his his thoughts on it and it impacted him. And Dakari, they can get ready for something. I think it's going to be incredible, huh? Yeah, I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about it. Real quick, before I shoot to this interview, tell the people what you told me in private about some of the stuff well, that Nona said and what it, it made you it think made about. Me, it made me realize that I too was privileged as a as a black man. Yeah. Right? Uh, sometimes we say, well, black men, we have such a hard time. But then also, I think while that's true, we, we have to recognize our own privilege. I know that I'm, I'm able to go in certain rooms that even chastity won't be able to get access to. Yeah. Right. By my the mere presence that I'm a male. And so I mm-hmm. think Nona made me wrestle with that and question that. Cause I've been in rooms where I've been able to sit at the table and women were on the outside of the table. Yeah. And here I am being able to contribute to the conversation and them taking notes. Yeah. How do you work with that? And wrestle yeah, I think that? I, yeah. I've said it before. People disagree with me about this. I think male privilege is real. 
I think I think the data shows that. Y'all know Princeton University just like uh, came to an agreement with its female professors mm. and they're back paying them. Oh, oh, wow. Because there was pay disparity between oh, wow. male and female professors. That's big. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. huge. Well, wow. I think Princeton's kind of forward thinking. The, the seminary did some, they did a, don't get upset, listeners. They did a, it's their it's their resources so they could decide what to do with it. It's not your taxpayer money. <laughs> right. But but they did a, 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 a iteration of reparations. The seminary mm. looked through and they saw how they had kind of benefited from slave labor. And what they did was is they took resources and they allocated it toward um, African-American students mm. who might have difficulty mm-hmm. fulfilling the financial commitment for mm-hmm. the seminary. And they also allocated it toward like an African-American studies department or something like that. But the point that I'm making is, you know, uh, by and large, male privilege, it's real. Yes. Uh, we hired a location leader that was a female. And one of the questions that she asked, she's like, so how have other women in this role experienced and what's, the, what's their experience been like? And my thought was just like, man, I pray for a church one day where a woman never has to ask that question. Now, some people disagree theologically about women in leadership. I mean, I landed a different place, but. I just think she, out of all the stuff she needs to worry about, I don't want her to have to worry about, are people going to receive my leadership because I'm a woman? Mm-hmm. It's weird. And Chastity, I mean, Dakar and I are just talking about it. You live it. Yeah, yeah, I actually am. I had, you know what? It's funny because I actually had this experience when I was working in higher education. Um, and my higher up, well, my main higher up was a man. Um, but it's funny because he wouldn't, he wouldn't train me and um, help me get a position that was an executive position simply because he didn't think I was qualified for it. And that's one of the reasons why I ended up leaving. Um, and then I actually had an incident with someone else who was our um, who was our, our PIO, which is public information officer. And uh, yeah, going back to what Dakari said, I would be in those meetings at the table with the higher ups and I would be one of those people taking notes. I wouldn't be at the table. Wow. And now I'm like, look at me now. Come on. Look at me now. You feel me? (laughs) Incredible. Well, listen, no matter if you're a male or a female, um, you should learn a lot about breaking barriers from this interview with Nona Jones. I want you to get ready. It's coming up next on the Darius Daniels podcast. So everybody, listen, I want you to welcome to the Dares Daniels podcast, a creative, a consultant, an author, a spiritual leader, a business leader, a communicator, a wife, a mother, everything in between, Nona Jones. What's up, Nona? Oh, man, nothing and everything. Thank you so much for having me. That was a very prolific introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's it's fitting. You do all that and above. So first of all, how, how you doing? How's your family? How y'all holding up in the midst of this pandemic? What's been going on with you guys? Well, I, I'm doing well. The family's well. I got to tell you, 2020 has literally been a decade. Like, I just I feel <laughs> like... I feel like this year I have lived 10. So, um, but we're doing well, you know? I mean, honestly, I feel like as crazy as this year has been, it's really helped clarify what's important. Um, And man, just waking up with health in your body. Yeah. A gift. So I'm good. 
Yeah. <laughs> you figure everything else out, huh? Yes. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm I'm really excited to have you on this podcast. I think everyone is going to learn so much. I know I am. And, um, you know, as I was telling you before we jumped on air, I have so many different questions <laughs> in so many different areas for you because you have your hand in so many different worlds. And at least from my perspective, you seem to do such an amazing job of managing them well and fruitfully kind of executing all those assignments. Um, but let, let me just ask this, first of all. Right. And this is this is something that really. I think I became uniquely interested in, ironically, during the time of the George Floyd protests. And I started having a lot of conversations about privilege and things of that nature as it related to race. And so for whatever reason, I can't remember what triggered it. I also started thinking about privilege along the lines of gender. Mm, yeah. And uh, some of the hurdles that my wife has to jump, would have to jump over that I don't have to jump over. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, what it would be like for you know, persons like myself who are male to pause for a minute and say, hey, just like we want people who are not African-American to pause and to be willing to listen and learn about what life is like for people who are not like them. I wanted to be more intentional about doing that when it came to women. Um, because I think male privilege is real also. So with you have just I just think just, it's just a plethora of experience in a number of different sectors and fields. I, I mean, you've had a faith-based partnerships at Facebook. You've, you've just done so much as a woman in leadership. So could you just talk to us a little bit about what that experience is like? Yeah. Has well, been like for you? This, this is such a great question. Um, so to give you a little background, I, I don't know why it happened, but um, I was appointed to my first executive role at the age of 23. So I was wow. young. Uh, I was working at a you know Fortune 100 company and um, was appointed to this really consequential role at 23 years old, um, like a year out of college. And I'll never forget um, because I was literally at the boardroom table with other executives who could have been my parents. The the majority of them were were men. And I remember when we would have, um, you know, you have your, your social time with your teams. I remember that the men would all get together and talk about, you know, sports. They would talk about um, how they had golfed that weekend. And um, it, it came to a point where I was really aware that as a woman, I was sitting on the outside mm -hmm. of their conversations. Um, mm -hmm. I was I was adjacent but I wasn't within the circle. Mm -hmm. And so it, uh, it became really difficult because I think a, a huge part of making an impact, especially in a corporate setting is being in the flow uh, of the organization. Sure. And you can't get in the flow of the organization if you're not in relationship with your colleagues. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes I would show up to the board meetings. I was prepared with the data. I was prepared with the business case but I didn't have the relationships with them because I wasn't on the golf course with them. I wasn't mm. at the bar with them. Um, and so I, I learned pretty early on that one of the, it's, it's kind of a subtle, uh, subtle form of privilege is frankly just doing the same things together. Mm. And we tend to have different interests, I think across genders, so I often had to kind of force myself into those social circles and social networks because I wasn't invited in. 
Mm. Like nobody was saying, hey, Nona, why don't you come golfing with us? <laughs> right. Why don't you come to the bar with us? We're going to have some beers. When <laughs> no, that was not happening. Um, so yeah, it, it becomes subtle, but it's very impactful. And I think as a woman, it, it's it's hard to overcome just being excluded. Wow. Well, I, th- I think I think all of us can learn from that. And uh, that's one thing I'm trying to be way more intentional about, even in, even in my communicating. And, and that is recognizing the hate that we all learn from each other. It's almost like, at least in the context of like spiritual leadership, it's almost like we only expect women to learn from the women of the Bible. Yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, yeah. we all can learn from women of the Bible. And I feel like so much of what you said applies to anyone who feels excluded. I, I, I do want to ask this, and it's, you know, there are, it, it's just the fact that you have a degree of fruitfulness and effectiveness, unless I'm not afraid of this word, and success in life and in leadership. And I'm sure you've had to overcome some unique hurdles as a woman to do that. What would you say um, to women specifically, not exclusively, who may find themselves in settings where they're dealing with some of the same things you just described and they feel like these barriers cannot be overcome um they're discouraged they're not sure what to do they don't know how to break through they feel like they got the talent to break through the skill the expertise just based on your experience what would you say to them well um one of the i think one of the the hurdles that i've had to overcome that i'm sure many other women have experienced too is um it's this almost um kind of soft tyranny of low expectations to where bars (laughs) (laughs) bars like you're just you're people see you and they assume that you have nothing to offer i mean how could you have anything to offer um you know i was a microbiology and cell science major in college love uh science physics love calculus of all these hard hard so-called hard subjects and i remember um when i was taking an organic chemistry class there were a couple of uh, a couple of young men in my class who assumed that I just didn't know what was going on. They were like, listen, if you ever have questions, we're happy to help, just let us know. Mm. They didn't know I was actually number one in the class. And so those those types of low expectations will follow you into your profession to where uh, there have been times where I've been in a consequential conversation and you know I have something to say and people are just constantly talking over me or I would start mm. to make a point and someone would assume what I was going to say. And so they would then interject and interrupt. And I would have to learn to say, I'm sorry, I'm not finished. Uh, I never <laughs> have something to say. However, I have not finished my thought. And what happens mm. with that, though, is then you get labeled as combative. Uh, uh, it's interesting because you, you get labeled as combative because you're simply um, establishing boundary lines between my worth and yours. I'm not taking away from your worth. I'm just saying that I have enough worth to be at this table and to say what I need to say. So that's been that's been a challenge that I've had to grow through um, and, and owning my voice, realizing that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if someone thinks that I'm combative or aggressive or I had somebody tell me at one time, I was uh, advocating for something that I believed in. They mm-hmm. said, well, you know, you really should learn to fight your battles. What they essentially were saying was they didn't think it was important. And I was making them uncomfortable because I was advocating for something that they didn't think was important. Um, and so we just have to learn that if it's important to us and not important to them, that doesn't give them the right to silence us. Uh, we still have a voice that's worth hearing. One hundred percent. 
OMG exclamation point. Uh, I think I think we all can learn so much from that, though, because um, male or female, there are times where we may find ourselves in spaces, sitting in rooms that kind of trigger, provoke, unearth insecurities mm -hmm. and there could be behavior that people that are in that room that uh, may be engaging in that um kind of exacerbates it and makes those makes those things worse and whoever we are i think it's important to, to own our to own our voice and this is you're just giving out free gems and free jewelry here now obviously obviously you know leadership is a passion of yours i saw recently that you've been doing something called a leadership academy I'm yes. really excited to hear more about that. Could you talk about it? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. So um, earlier this year, I released my memoir. It's called Success from the Inside Out. Uh, I talk in it about how through faith in God, I was able to overcome a childhood of physical, sexual abuse, emotional, mental abuse, and go on to achieve and, and many things that people would define as success. But what I found was through the journey the pain of my past was really creating present difficulties because mm -hmm. to give you an example, uh, I would be in a board meeting and someone would say something that uh, was critiquing an idea I had. And I would find myself feeling really shattered by what they said because their criticism triggered uh, feelings of unworthiness that actually were rooted in what happened to me in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote the book because my intent was to help people get healthy in their professional uh, journey. And as I released the book and people were reading the book, they were like, will you please mentor me? And I was like, I don't have time to mentor everybody, but I would love to. So I launched the Leadership Academy really to just provide kind of like a scaled mentorship program where uh, every couple of weeks I do live group coaching. I teach along five themes. The first is uh, heart work, mm. doing the heart work. Uh, we have to repair what's broken within us um, in order to really understand the value of what's outside of us. The second thing that I really focus on is mind work. So, you know, making sure that you're building your intellectual capacity through reading, strategic studying, um, how to actually enhance your capacity from a time standpoint. Mm. Many times we have goals and things that we can't achieve because we have basically the, the, the trivial many are overtaking the, the very critical few. Mm -hmm. And so I teach people about that. Um, and then I just teach them on how to build momentum toward their goals, as well as how to make them sustainable. So that's that's the the the, the real main point of the academy. And we're going into our third semester. This was a God thing. Let me tell you, I was not trying to add another thing to my plate. And God was like, do it. I said, OK, so we're, we're still hanging in there. <laughs> the modules sound incredible. This is the one that interests me the most. And I'd like for you to talk a little bit more about it. And that's the hard work. Yeah. That is one I think is such a unique angle on leadership. So I would I would just love to hear one why you included that in a leadership module because the pragmatist is probably thinking, hey, teach me the X's and O's, yep. uh, teach me the skills, teach me competencies. Let's not talk about this. <laughs> this right, right. Yes. Let's yes. not talk about this hard right. stuff. What does it have to yes. do with with uh, with leadership? And I'm so. Um, interested in it personally because and I'm going to say over the past couple of years or so I've recognized the role that plays in leadership about five years ago I recognized the role that it, it plays in life so uh, the way I would frame it is that some badness is a result of brokenness and until you fix the brokenness you can't address the badness and when I say badness in my case I'm not just talking to, I'm not you know talking necessarily about 
immorality or sin. It's talking about some, maybe some dysfunction, some overextension, some people pleasing, some overcommitting, those things that can be kind of self-destructive. And so I, I have and am personally experiencing the benefit of heart work and how that impacts my life and leadership work. But I'm, I can't wait to hear more about why did you choose to put it in there? And what are some of the things that you guys dig into in that module? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I included it because it's it's my life. So um, I was in pol- I used to work in politics uh, many years ago and I was very blessed, very fortunate um, to the point where the work I was doing, it was really influential at the highest levels of government. And so I was at the White House regularly. And there was this one particular time that I was at the White House for a reception and the president was there. The first lady was there. And I looked around the room and there were all of these like very successful people and you know, I was amazed. I was like, well, there I was in the midst of them. Uh, and I should have felt like I had arrived. I should mm. have felt uh, like I had made it. But what I actually felt was empty. And I remember going back to my hotel room that night and in the darkness of the room, I began to cry. And I said, Lord, is this what success is to be in a room where people know of you, but nobody really knows you? Like, mm. is that is that success? Because if that success there has to be more to it. And so what, what happened was God began to do a work on me. He showed me that the reason why I could not um, experience the joy and the fulfillment of what was happening in my life was because there were parts of me that were broken. There were mm-hmm. parts of me that were looking for validation and affirmation. The reason why I was so ambitious and I wanted the positions and the titles and the cars and the clothes was not because I just wanted those things. It's, mm-hmm. It was because I assumed that if I acquired those things, that I would suddenly matter. And so what God did was he wow. took me on a journey to one, understanding forgiveness, because I didn't know that all the things that had happened in my childhood mm-hmm. had uh, a present effect on my life. He taught me forgiveness and then he taught me how to release the why. Mm-hmm. And that is really what uh, creates the foundation for the heart work that we do is getting to the point where you're no longer uh, disabled by the question, why did that happen to me? Mm. Um, why did you allow that to happen to me, God? And, and that's what was holding me back. So we, we dig into questions of why. We even dig into um, questions of worth. Uh, I've, I've worked with so many wow. people at this point who, you know, they will tell you, oh, I want to launch this business because, you know, I want to help my community. But in fact, they want to launch the business because their cousin is a successful entrepreneur <laughs> and they feel jealous of what their cousin has done. So we Facts. go deep to be like, <laughs> let's understand your motivations because our motivations are simply a reflection of our experiences. So once we understand that, then we can begin to seek the power and presence of God to begin to free us from the, as you said, dysfunction and the toxicity of our past. So we start there. Like I don't even talk about (laughs) intellectual capacity, strategy, time management. I don't talk about any of that until we do the hard work. This sounds like a gold mine. Why do I want to get in this? (laughs) 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 Why do I want to, why do I want to jump in this class? But to me, it seems like it is an iteration of an expression of something that you mentioned um, earlier, and that is this idea of success from the inside out. Uh, so would you say that 
these two are linked in some kind of way, does that that phrase in and of itself, does that inform the way you're approaching training people in this leadership academy? Absolutely. One of the, the, the things that I say to them, and I, I'll say it here, is there is nothing that you can accumulate around you that will fill a deficit within you. So you, you want the Pause, wait, wait, no, no, wait, wait, you can't <laughs> drop bombs like that. And first of all, you know, I'm a preacher, so I'm trying not to amen everything <laughs> that you're saying. <laughs> you can't drop atomic bombs and then just, um, I know our audience is saying the same thing. They're like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Could you just say that, say that last, that just that last phrase again, please. You, you can't accumulate. There is nothing that you can accumulate around you that will fill a deficit within you. So good. And one of the things I talk about in my book, and honestly, this is why I launched the Academy is as I was writing my book, I, I did an analysis of so many well-known people who have taken their lives and I realized, I said, you know what? These people had money, they had fame, they had power, um, they had access to any tangible thing any of us could ever want, and yet they did not feel that their life was worth living. Mm. And so that recognition should really inform all of us yeah. that we can get the stuff but getting the stuff is not going to leave us fulfilled. And so my, my contention has always been that success begins within. And actually, there's, there's biblical rooting for this. I mean, in the book of Joshua, chapter one, verse eight, my, one, one of my favorite scriptures, you know, at the end of Deuteronomy, when, when Moses dies, it's, it's between there and then Joshua taking the, the, the children of Israel into Canaan that God pulls him aside and says, listen, you are about to inherit the promised land. You're about to lead my people into the promised land. There's a couple things I need you to know. Mm -hmm. He tells him, if you observe my word, meditate in it day and night and do what it says do, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Mm -hmm. Now, the fact that the word good is used to describe sure. success sure. is a very interesting thing because we think success is good by definition, right? Like, mm. of course. I'm, I'm good. Success mm -hmm. is good. But the fact that God said that there is a good success means there is a success that is not good. And that's where I think a lot of these people have ended up is you have the stuff, but you don't have peace. You don't have joy. You don't have wholeness. You don't have kindness. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm hoping people will, will get out of the Academy is, is getting the inner stuff. Mm -hmm. Cause when you get the inner stuff, then the outer stuff can be a blessing. But if you don't have the inner mm -hmm. stuff, the outer stuff just becomes a mound of waste eventually. It, it's so true, biblically supported, but it's, it's experientially validated. Like we can look inside, outside the context of religious circles. We just, we, we see this, yep. um, that, that success in and of itself, you're right. We just, we make this automatic moral judgment about it. The assumption is it's inherently good and it isn't, it's, it's amoral. It's, mm -hmm. <laughs> it really it. is. Yeah. You know, th there's something that I also I've noticed, and um, it's it's not just your passion for personal transformation, but also cultural transformation and impact. And uh, I see that through this recent initiative you're part of called Faith and Prejudice. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, what that is, what's the motivation behind that, and um 
and how, how God is using that um, to make a difference, not just in people's lives, but in culture. Wow. Well, let me let me say I'm, I'm laughing because I had no plan to launch a new organization over the summer. Like I had I had no plans to do that. But um, what happened was after after George Floyd's murder, um, similar to to I think what you said earlier, you know, I had a, a number of my my white pastor friends reached out and they said, listen, would you be willing to have a conversation about race? Would you be willing to record a sermon and send it to us uh, mm-hmm. on the topic of race, be on a podcast? And, you know, of course, as a black woman, I have a perspective on race, I have a perspective on injustice, but I also know that there are many people who have dedicated their lives to these issues. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do was instead of, you know, having a conversation with me about my perspective on race, I wanted to uh, create a platform for civil rights leaders and theologians and scholars and advocates who can really dig into the intricacies of these issues. I wanted to create a platform for the big C church to come sit at their feet and learn. And so uh, what happened was I was running um, and I was thinking about all the unjust unjust, uh, actions that had happened and the injustice in our nation. And God told me to create a platform on Facebook Mm -hmm. called Faith and Prejudice to host these conversations. Now, mind you, I didn't know half the people that he said. He said, you know, Ambassador Andrew Young and Brian Stevenson and Dr. Bernice King, who I knew, but I didn't know very closely. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Lord, I don't know these people like that to just call them. <laughs> well, he decided that it needed to happen. And the reason for that is most times conversations about race deteriorate into political conversations. What we have to realize, though, right now in America, 30 percent of Americans identify as Republican. 31 percent identify as Democrat. But 65% identify as Christian, more than both major political parties combined. Wow. So change is not going to happen in the halls of Congress until it first happens in the heart of the church. Sure. It's us. Mm-hmm. So we had this week-long um, just Facebook Live broadcast special featuring interviews with all these people. And I'm telling you, a spirit of repentance and humility just overtook. I mean, we had about 6 million people um tune into the broadcast amazing it just overtook people who came to the conversation already made up their mind you know who cares this no systemic racism doesn't exist y'all are making this up yes left like wow i had no idea yeah and so since then we continue to have broadcasts every month uh, but we also are creating forums for pastors to come together and continue to get encouraged and inspired um, because we know this is long haul work. So this is not just a flash in the pan. This is something we're going to have to continue to do over time. And we're committed to it. Well, I think it's incredibly, one, it's inc- not just incredibly timely. Um, and of course, it's incredibly timely because I do, at least in my experience, sense a degree of openness and amenability with a certain people group to learn. I, um, you know, growing up in Mississippi, and so I witness a lot in terms of overt racism and every overt racist act that I saw, at least in Mississippi, was done by a, pro, a proclaimed and a professed Christian. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And so it made me start. I mean, I, I, I didn't use this language, but it made me start to think at an early age. What is it about the expression and iteration of Christianity in this country? What is it about it that makes people mm. who to some degree, whose heart is filled with hate toward a, a particular people group, feels mm-hmm. so comfortable in it. 
Mm-hmm. And the reason that I ask that is because I know other people groups that don't feel, and I'm not, I'm not talking about ethnicity here, right? Yes. But I know other people groups who the Christian church really makes uh, feel uncomfortable and not at home. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, if we were that way toward everyone, then I think it would, it wouldn't be as concerning for me. But, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, I saw that and I was like, wow. And as I kind of matriculated in my own spiritual journey, I began to see it more and more. I saw it in classrooms, in college. I saw it in seminaries mm. uh, that I went to. And I think you are so spot on that there has to be not just the reformation of the heart. I think that's really almost kind of simplistic. A simplistic, it's, a re- it's simplistic, it's reductionist. When yep. people say, hey, this doesn't change until Jesus changes the heart. Oh, I'm what? like, everybody that I know that did, not saying, of course, it, they're racist or Christian, but I'm like, in my experience in Mississippi, everybody that I know that did racist stuff said they had a claim, <laughs> a changed heart. Well, yeah, they I didn't have a renewed you? mind. Part, part of the reason why we're doing this work is because I have noticed that even as Americans, we do not have a shared history of this country. True. And so many of us think, oh, well, you know, Civil War wasn't about slavery. It was about states' rights. Okay, well, it was about the states' rights to have slaves. Yeah. <laughs> look at the, and, and this is all documented. If you look at, you know, the articles of secession of the, the states right. who seceded, like we have the documentation, they tell you the principal cause for our leaving the union is the issue of slavery. Like they tell you that. One thing I wanted to read to you because um, there's this belief, and you you just mentioned it, that there's different experiences and expressions of Christianity. There's this belief that, you know, Africans came to this country and were indoctrinated in Christianity when they right. came. The reality is uh, many of them already knew of Christianity because it was originated in the Middle East. Yeah. And so many of them already came to America knowing that the gospel of Jesus Christ was a gospel of freedom. Mm-hmm. And it was because of that that they were starting to preach about we should not be in chains mm-hmm. because Jesus That's has right. come to set us free. There is a law that was enacted in Mississippi in 1831, I'm just going to read it to you for people who don't understand this history. It says it is unlawful for any slave, free Negro or mulatto to preach the gospel upon pain of receiving 39 lashes upon the naked back of the presumptuous preacher. Wow. The enslaved Africans already had a consciousness of God. They already knew what the Bible said. And so there was an other interpretation that was seeking to defame the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to perpetuate oppression. We have to confront these issues, and that's why faith and prejudice exists. Well, listen, I'm so grateful that you're doing it. It's, it is not just, it, it, it doesn't just have social implications. It also, I think it has um, evangelistic implications because one of the things that I'm founding, I'm finding, and uh, other spiritual leaders that I'm having conversations with are kind of corroborating this also, is that there's some brand repair work Mm. that has to be done specifically in urban communities when it comes to Christianity, if we're going to keep effectively reaching people for the gospel, because these issues of injustice, when I know when I'm trying to reach people, it's one of the first issues that comes up. It's one of the greatest evangelistic hurdles that we're dealing with. I think it contributed to like the rise of things like the Nation of Islam during the civil rights movement. And it is contributing to the rise of sex like the Hebrew Israelite movement now. 
And uh, this work is so important. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I've got one final question. And and I want this, I want to ask this question for men like myself who need to listen and learn and for women who may need language to articulate something that they feel but don't quite have words for. What can men do better or differently to support women who are passionately pursuing God's call for their life? Mm. I would say one of the things is notice when you are in spaces that we are not. Mm. So by that, what I mean is there have been a number of um, church conferences that I've preached at where I was the only woman. There have also been conferences that I've attended where there were no women preaching. Mm. And so I think it's important that if you're in that door, if you're in that space, always notice who is not there and be an advocate. And what that sometimes will mean, and this is where the rubber meets the road, is it will mean, you know what? I don't think I don't think I'm going to be able to be a speaker unless there is another woman who has a voice. Mm. And sometimes that will mean I'm going to give my spot. Yeah. <laughs> to a woman. Mm-hmm. So it's it's being it's being aware of who's not there. And if a woman isn't there, just being willing to be an advocate for her. I think the other thing is is helping a woman see her potential, that you believe in her, that she is as capable, that she is as competent. Um, speak to her strengths. We hear all the time where we're weak. We hear all the time where we're defective. We hear all the time where we shouldn't be. So we don't need to hear that. What we need to hear is we are strong and where we are gifted and where we are called. Um, so that's, that's what I would hope, would hope to happen. Well, Nona, listen, this is really my prayer. It is my prayer that I would model that one in my natural family, but also in my spiritual family. And my hope and my prayer is that all of the men that are listening to me will, um, will do the same thing. This is not about guilt. I don't believe in male guilt or white guilt, the black guilt. I don't believe in that to, I think to a degree to believe in that is to to assume that God made you wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not it, but it is about a shared responsibility to kind of recognize that if you're a Christian, there's no such thing as their problem. If you're a Christian, it's our problem. Like the the Good Samaritan story reveals that 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 wasn't that Good Samaritan's problem. But when you're when you're a believer, there's no such thing as their problem. That's a woman's problem. No, that's our problem because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Nona, this has been golden it has been everything i thought it would be i've learned so much and i think our listeners have also now i know our tribe and i'm telling you right now they're about to be all in my dms if i don't ask you this question what's up with this leadership academy what's up with her content where's her stuff where can i get more of her so before they bombard me can you please tell them <laughs> all the answers to everything above? Sure. Well, so you can find me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My social handle is the same across all of them. It's at Nona, not Nora. All right. At Nona, not Nora. Got it. Um, you can also visit my website, NonaJones.com. We have all my academy information on there. We have the success school, but we also have an author school and a fitness school. And those are led by two other dynamic Come faculty. On. 
So if you want to release that in New York Times bestselling book, we have an incredible <laughs> faculty member for that. And if you're ready to lose weight and get in shape, we have an incredible faculty member for that. So yeah, connect with me. I'd love to uh, to get to know you. Well, Nona, thank you so much for your contribution to, to our tribe on this podcast. Thank you for the work that you're doing and for the example that you set, the, the how you are breaking barriers and um and creating new lanes and new paths for people to, for people men and women to kind of uh-huh. come behind you so we are so <laughs> glad that you were part of this podcast we can't wait to have you back oh, nona jones man. everybody thank you this is a pleasure and a privilege i appreciate you Today's show is brought to you by United Healthshare Ministries. These days, finding affordable, quality health care is more difficult than ever. So if you're looking to save up to 50% on your health care expenses, listen up. You don't have to wait around hoping health care will improve in the U.S. Instead, join millions of Christians who are choosing health share memberships like UHSM. UHSM is a nonprofit Christian health share with a sole purpose of helping you achieve your best health. To protect your health with modern health sharing from UHSM, including program benefits from CVS Caremark, no-cost telehealth visits, and access to 1 million doctors and providers. Satisfy your medical needs and save up to 50% with UHSM. UHSM is member-to-member health sharing, and it's awesome. See why millions are choosing this Christian alternative to traditional insurance and ask if you qualify for UHSM membership today. So you can call or text 833-367-8476. That's 833-367-8476 or 833-367-UHSM. Or you can visit UHSM.com slash care. That's UHSM.com slash care. Incredible interview with Nona Jones. And now it's time for the Ask Dr. Darius section of the Darius Daniels podcast. And Dakari and Chastity have some questions that have come in. Hey, we're going to do our best to answer them. Guys, what do you have for this Ask Dr. Darius segment? Okay, well, today we have a question from Tasha Majors. Tasha says, I'm 52 years old. I've been in survival mode for most of my life and I'm exhausted. How do I transition out of a survivor's mindset? Um, tell me the name again. Tasha. Well, Tasha, the first thing I want to say to you is this. I want to, I want to encourage you now. And this is going to sound so cliche-ish, but I do believe it. I, I believe this and I've seen this. Um, that... If you are still around, meaning still here, no matter what age range you may fall in, you are still here for a reason. That sounds so cliche. It just sounds simple, but I think it's really important to wrap your head around this. And and this is one of the reasons why I think we mentioned this before. It's like um, the two gentlemen that are running for president are close to 80. So they've adopted a mindset that no matter how old they are, there is no John Maxwell. I heard John Maxwell talks about this. There is no finish line. And so 
to some degree, I think seeing things that way is really going to determine whether or not you kind of shut it down and survive or you make a decision to thrive. And I don't want to oversimplify the answer, but it is really a decision. It is. Uh, the stars don't always automatically align. We cannot always wait for external circumstances to just fall into place a way that we would like them. We have to make a decision that life is going to deal me a certain hand of cards. I can't always control the hand that I'm dealt. I can't control how I play it. And you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to allow this the last 52 years of your life to determine whether or not you can thrive and enjoy this next season. This is my philosophy. No matter how much time you've wasted, five years, if you don't pass away, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years is coming. And you can decide what you're going to do with the years that are ahead of you. Here's what I would encourage you to think through. It's this, I'm going to say, I'll give you an axiom. The only way to make up for a bad past is to create an amazing future. And that is determined by what you do today. Tasha, I hope that helps you. Wish you the best. God bless. All right, PD, I have another question coming from Vincent. And this is an interesting question because I struggle with this too. What are your views on spiritual fathers and the necessity of having one in your life? That's a great question, Vincent. And um, I actually did an e-course on spiritual parenting. So for those of you who are not familiar with this language, it is New Testament language. So it is language that the Apostle Paul uses and it is language that Peter uses. Also, Peter calls Mark a son. Paul calls Timothy on two occasions a son. He calls believers in Galatia his dear children. Um, he call, He tells believers in Corinth, you've got many teachers but not many fathers so i believe the term is biblical but just like everything else i think people take terms they interpret those terms a certain way and then they apply those terms a certain way and sometimes the way they apply them is just inconsistent with what god had in mind so i just think it's a term really that's more important for the spiritual leader or the mentor than the person that they're mentoring by that, it means I think Paul uses that terminology so that he can wrap his head around and always be reminded of the way I'm supposed to lead these people, that the way a natural parent is looking at investing in them, maturing them, raising them up, serving them, shepherding them well is the way I'm supposed to carry out that responsibility spiritually. And I say that because Paul says to the church of Corinth, he's like, yo, I'm the spiritual father. And he says, children don't set aside things for parents. Parents set aside things for children. And so Paul says, basically, I understand that I'm the one that's going to be doing a lot of the giving and the depositing in this relationship. It's basically a style of leadership that says, I am always going to commit to do more for you than I get from you. Now, what I've seen in my experience is this get twisted. And it becomes like a, a spiritual pyramid scheme where you give where all the giving is going up and very little is, is coming down. Like the giving is going up in the name of this nebulous spiritual covering, <laughs> but not an investment that is actually being made 
downward that actually matures and grows and develops a person. And so, I mean, I actually include spiritual fathers in the fourth category of my book, relational intelligence like that. They would be considered an advisor. So do I think people need them? Yes, but it's just like anything else. It's just like doctors. It's just like counselors. It's just like lawyers. It's not just if I have one, it's do I have the right one? And um, <laughs> uh, that's something that I think um, only you can answer. All right. Hope that helps. Next, you have Jeanette. Um, Jeanette is asking a dating question. She says, are your views on uh, what are your views on spiritually mature singles using online dating? Provided they are using the relationship principles that you taught in your love and basketball sermon series and relational intelligence book. Yeah. Okay. Jeanette, listen to me carefully. <laughs> listen to me, Jeanette, and everybody that's interested in this answer. Go for what you know. <laughs> this is the way I view I view the digital space as online real estate. I do. So it's just it's it's a way for it's like a it's it's a digital field. So it's a way for you to connect with people that you wouldn't connect with before. And I think the key for me is you utilizing the relationship principles. And so if you're that I've talked about in love and basketball and maybe some other teachings. So if you are utilizing those principles, meaning that, okay, you're gathering data, you're vetting, uh, you're creating space where when you feel like it's safe, you're, you can meet this person, hopefully publicly in a public place, face to face to make sure you're not cat being catfished because the catfish is real. <laughs> <laughs> that does exist. Um, and also there are uh, just issues of, you know, just kind of safety in general that you want to take into consideration. But if you are utilizing the principles we talk about in before you do and after you did, that's probably more pertinent to dating. Uh, Baywatch was all of that series was all about dating. So if you're if you're utilizing those principles and uh, vetting accordingly, then I think online dating is fine. I think it's a matter of um, I really do. I think it's a matter of preference. And uh, some person may theologize something different. But uh, to me, online dating is I mean, you get to know a person in a way that is completely more thorough than you would with arranged marriages so like in biblical times sometimes you didn't see the person until you were getting ready to marry them you didn't even get to pick so i think if arranged marriages were able to work then with the proper vetting and research and things of that particular nature um online dating can work um i don't know if i were single i don't plan on being single I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would do that as a man, um, but I don't know. I think to each his own. I don't think it's biblically inappropriate. And if you exercise wisdom, it might work for you. I know people who have met that way, godly people who've met that way and they're thriving. So hopefully somewhere, whether it's online or in Kroger, Publix, Target, Walmart, the mall, hey, who knows? Maybe God will send you who is for you. So there's all the questions we have for today. Well, listen, thank you so much for sending those questions in. Listen, we want to answer your questions. We've got an email for you to send them to. It's podcast at DariusDaniels.com. Email your questions there, please. 
We want to answer as many of them as we possibly can. And who knows? Your question may be answered next right here on the Darius Daniels podcast. I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank you for your support. Remember, we want to reach as many people as possible, and we can only do that if you are downloading, if you're subscribing, if you are sharing this podcast. Help us spread the word about these conversations we're having for your transformation. I'm excited about what we've got coming up for you next week. And I can't wait to talk to you then right here on the Darius Daniels podcast. Take care. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Darius Daniels podcast part of the Relevant Podcast Network. For more great content from Dr. Darius, including his books, sermons, and more, check out DariusDaniels.com. Also, be sure to follow him on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And for more podcasts at the intersection of faith and culture, check out the Relevant Podcast Network, featuring shows like The Relevant Podcast, Unedited, and more launching throughout the year. Find out more by clicking podcasts at RelevantMagazine.com. Relevant Podcast Network.